podcast. The book of Acts picks up right where the four gospels leave off. The risen Christ commissioned his disciples to go into all the world and preach the good news. Acts tells us exactly how that happened, how the soul-saving message of the gospel spread throughout the entire Roman Empire in less than 30 years. Through enormous obstacles and without many resources, proven leadership, or modern technologies, these early Christians turned the world upside down because they had the Holy Spirit at work in their lives. This is their story. Let's join Pastor Ross with our verse-by-verse study through this amazing book. All right, folks, it's that time we dig back into the Bible, the Word of God. Jesus is the one who said, did he not, that we cannot, man cannot live by just eating food. You, you, you'll die without the Word of God. You have to have the Word of God because that's really the food for the soul that gives us eternal life. And so we're going to look at the Word of God, picking up on the first ever missions journey uh, there. And uh, they have reached uh, central modern-day Turkey. There's a lot to learn uh, here in Acts chapter 13. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Father God, apart from you and your Holy Spirit, we can do nothing We cannot learn or understand spiritually discernible truth. We need your spirit. You need to interpret these things to our hearts and apply them to our lives, God. Uh, And you're so faithful to do that. We always leave feeling like you spoke to us and you comforted us, you corrected us if need be. Uh, You're building us up, God. You've come to give us hope and a future to bless us, so help us to be soft and open and hear what the Spirit is saying to us. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. So when I was in Bible college, I had the wonderful privilege of being selected to be a missionary intern to spend an entire summer in the Philippines. And for a 22-year-old guy who had only been a Christian for a year or two, uh, that was a trip of a lifetime. And so four student interns from all over the United States all met up together with some national pastors there in the Philippines and a, and a resident missionary. Uh, and uh, I don't really honestly know how I got assigned this, but my designated uh, position on the team was to be the preacher. And that's before anything was said or done. He just looked at me and said, you're going to be the preacher. And I said, well, okay. I'm glad I, all right, let's do this. So we travel from province to province and island to island, even the jungle areas of the Philippines. And uh, one of these days in a mission service that we have, I'd like to share that uh, whole story because it was pretty amazing as we were preaching the gospel there in the Philippines. Now, one of the greatest challenges of course, as you, and there were many, as you can imagine, but was communicating in a way, here I had an interpreter, of course, in most of the regions, uh, but uh, to, to help people with a different mindset, different worldview, different understanding of spiritual things, different presumptions, different things make them laugh, 
that we don't find humorous and just the opposite there. So communicating to somebody who's very different from you and what you're used to really takes an effort. But if you want to be effective at communicating, you better uh, consider who you're speaking to and how you're speaking. And I think the takeaway for this morning's uh, uh, sermon is we, we see Paul the Apostle in uh, the middle of Turkey preaching a sermon. We get the sermon, but it's not so much what he's saying, it's how he's saying it. That is our takeaway. Because to the Jew, he speaks like a Jewish man, which he is. But to, when he gets to uh, Greece, he's not going to mention anything Jewish, nothing from the Old Testament. He's going to talk about Greek philosophers and idols and all of this stuff because it really matters a lot for those who are committed to the task of bringing a message that will keep people out of hell and put them on the path to heaven that we be successful, dynamic, and effective communicators of that message because the message saves. They need to really be open. So we need to be sensitive. That's really the heartbeat uh, of the the, um, sermon this morning. Uh, And so when I was in the Philippines, immediately I started building bridges. That's that's the idea here. Maybe a good uh, title for the message. Building bridges, not burning them. Not starting with something offensive, but being sensitive. The truth never changes. It's always the same. But how you approach people, that's really important. And so, yeah, so I started with talking about the, the beautiful people of the Philippines and their warm hospitality and the food, the traditional foods that I, I fell in love with. Who? What's not to love about lumpia and pancit? And hello, hello, and buko, and all the stuff that you just can say amen by faith. <laughs> and then you just start building the bridges, and then I learned how to speak a little Tagalog, and I learned how to say magandangabipo sa inyong lahat, puringanang panginaon, which means amen, <laughs> a little Filipino baby. <laughs> Even the babies know. <laughs> It means good evening, everyone, uh, and praise the Lord. So now you're just in the first 10 minutes or so, and hearts are opening, right? Babies are receiving the gospel. <laughs> I think that's a cry to be fed, Mom. I'm just saying. I am my grandpa. Um, so yeah, and so you see that happening in this morning's message to the Jewish people here as the Apostle Paul and Barnabas are now uh, traversing the Mediterranean. As I said, the first missions trip ever. Ever. First one. And uh, amazing insights here. And so, yeah, he, they come to the middle of a little community of Jews. They're born and raised right there, still retaining their Jewishness there in the middle of Turkey. And, and we're going to see how he preaches to them and adapts the context into a, a, a Jewish Hebrew context, which helps them to receive the gospel. And so uh, let's get busy. The thesis statement of the gospel that they're going around telling people is good news. God has sent his son into the world to save us. 
All right, let's join the team there uh, as they make their way up, up and over uh, there in uh, modern-day Turkey. So from Perga, which is at the coast, the southern coast, they just landed at a seaport, Perga, southern coast of Turkey. They move on a, a, a hundred miles north over a mountain pass to a place called Pisidian. Now, they, they put Antioch on the name of a lot of cities, uh, including the city they're from, the sending churches in Syrian Antioch, because it's a title of one of the past conquerors, and so they put his name like we do Washington. Washington is everywhere, right? Uh, that's kind of what's going on there. On the Sabbath, Saturday for the Jews, they entered the synagogue. It's from a Greek word that means meeting together. If you want to go with the Hebrew understanding from Yiddish, uh, we call it shul, from the word school. It's a, it's a Jewish church, okay? Plain and simple. And they sat down. After the reading from the law, that's the first five books of the Old Testament, they called the Torah or the law. And the prophets, really everything else in the Old Testament. So they had a reading from the books of Moses, verse 5, and also a reading from the Psalms or something, kind of like what we do. And, uh, and then after reading, after that part in the service, the synagogue rulers sent word to them saying, brothers, if you have a message of encouragement for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul said, don't mind if I do. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Uh, motioned with his hand, love the little graphic uh, eyewitness remarks here, and said, men of Israel, and you Gentiles who worship God. The Gentiles who worship God were the Turks, if I could call them that, the ancient Turks around, with no Jewish DNA. But they heard about the God of Israel. They heard about the Jewish faith, right? And the Old Testament, and they were attracted. So they're in the synagogues as well, and uh, called God-fearers sometimes in the Bible. So he starts with the first uh, bridge. Men of Israel. Let's talk. And so that's where we're at right now. And so, uh, yeah. So note takers, if you're taking notes, here we are. Got to find my place too. There we go. Nothing like a little whiteout to help you stick your pages together. That would make for a really fast sermon. <laughs> Don't say amen. No, you know that. So note takers, yeah, to the Jew first. Now you hear that a lot, and that's their MO. Whenever they go anywhere on the foreign field outside of Israel, they stop in first at the little enclaves, <laughs> the little Jewish centers, and, and uh, they preach the gospel because they get like 99% of it. They're just missing the 1% that makes it all work. Jesus, <laughs> their Jewish Messiah, according to their Jewish prophecies. And so, yeah, to the Jew first just means God had, has kind of basically two phases of salvation plan. Uh, and phase one started with the Jews. That's what to the Jews first. They were first in line because God said, let me bring Messiah through a nation I'll create. So let's start with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And once the Messiah is born through them, then let's turn to the church, the Gentiles, and let them reconcile the world back to the Jewish God. Now that's Old Testament, New Testament, that's it. And so to the Jew first just means that functionally, that's where God started. 
they are the, the door through which God steps to save the whole world. And in that regard, they're blessed. Uh, I like maps, so I'm going to show you a map of where we're at here. They started in uh, what was called Syria, then now Turkey at Antioch. Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark, their helper, who turned out to be more of a hindrance than anything else, because after they evangelize Cyprus, they move on to where we pick up today. Our text starts at the southern coast here at Perga. Remember, they go 100 miles north. And so our story, the synagogue's here in central Turkey. But when they got here, when they rowed their boat ashore, hallelujah, uh, John Mark decided, you know what? I'm done with you guys, okay? I'm done helping. And he went home to mom. That's John uh, going home to mama. <laughs> there. Now the guys are have more burdens now, and and life is more difficult. But the word of the Lord goes on with or without John Mark, right? That's how it goes. And so now they're here. Next slide will show you that when the Bible mentions a place, it's really there. You can go there. Now the Book of Mormon. Don't try finding any of those cities, <laughs> uh, because they'll say you just yeah we just have to take that by faith. You know, hundreds of cities listed. And you go to the Bible's cities, you start digging, and there, there it is, with inscriptions of the names of the people listed in the Bible, because the gospel is verifiable truth. It's not just something somebody made up. You can just read the pages. There's dates, there's rulers, there's wars, there's verifiable things like this happened, you know? See? Uh, next slide, I'll just show you a couple more things. So if you look in Turkey, you know, here's where Cyprus is. They sail up to here. This is where they are. And they're at in the southern region of Galatia. So the people who hear the gospel today in this sermon in this synagogue will be the future recipients of the letter to the Galatians. You see, little do they know how important these visitors are to their synagogue. Thank you for all those slides. And so, um, yeah, so they enter the synagogue. Let's go to verse 14 in your minds here uh, with me. And they have much of a liturgy like our Protestant churches. And in fact, that's where church looks back on the synagogue and says this is the way God wants us to have worship. And the New Testament helps as well with that. And so uh, the way that these Jews who were centuries earlier displaced from the homeland, and so for all intents and purposes, they look like Turks. They sound like Turks. They eat Turkish food. They were born there. Their father was born there. But they retained their Jewishness. And how they retained their Jewishness was meeting together in the synagogues and practicing the Jewish faith called Judaism. And so how that would work is they get together in their little synagogue and they open with the Shema. The Shema is uh, what every Jew says in the morning and in the evening and whenever else they can say it. All right, It's like the Lord's Prayer to the Catholics especially. All right, So it, it's, they just start out with the creed. Hear O Israel, which is to hear is Shema in Hebrew. That's why it's called the Shema. Hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord God is one. You shall love him with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So the readings come from Deuteronomy chapter 6, Deuteronomy chapter 11, and Numbers, I believe. 
also. And so, yeah, the, after that uh, comes the prayers. After the prayer time uh, come two Bible readings, as I mentioned, uh, one from the first five books and one from anywhere else. And usually either the ruler of the synagogue or a guest, a guest rabbi, would be called upon to go uh, stand up and take the text they just shared and expound on it. So Paul is doing all that he can to get them to ask him. He doesn't come in, you know, and say, I'm a former Pharisee and I'm the Apostle Paul and I'd like a few words with everybody. No, (laughs) he doesn't do that. Instead, he's as shrewd as a servant and harmless as a dove. And he lets everybody know with his strings. Have you ever seen anybody dressed in regular clothes, a guy with strings? Have you ever seen that? I, I see them. Why do I always see them? They're Orthodox Jews. They're rabbis. They're wearing the strings that they, they find in the Old Testament or the shawl. So Paul is definitely in the coffee time. Uh, he let them know. <laughs> Maybe he dropped the Pharisee word. Uh, yeah, back in the day I actually was a Pharisee. Hint, hint, like come on. Come on, ask me, ask me. I'll be sitting right there. Now, a few observations. It's a large synagogue. It's a large city, Pisidian. Military outpost and all of that. So it's a large uh, synagogue. How do you know that? Well, they're not sitting in a circle where a guy just says, hey, you want to speak? The rulers, S, multiple rulers in there, uh, send word to them. So it's a large head. So he had a... The ruler's telling Usher, the Usher has to go find them. It's a big meeting place. And so I love this. And, 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 you know, Paul is modeling for all of us. And I go off a little bit here because it's so important. Peter says it this way, always be ready and prepared in season and out. That's a Paul idea there. But always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have in your heart. When people ask you, now that that is an inquisitive exhortation, is it not? Uh, they're only asking you because they notice something. You've done something to pique their interest, haven't you? It's the way you're forgiving. It's the way you're handling your trouble. It's the way you're speaking. It's the way you're not speaking. They want to know. They'll ask. I had a high school uh, girl asked me in Daly City when I was subbing there. I was a substitute teacher in high school. And I had a, a one-week assignment in the same class. She comes up to me uh, at the end of the week and she says, you, you've got this peace about you. You're just like laid back. At first I thought you were on drugs. <laughs> <laughs> That's what she said. <laughs> But then I realized that you said you were a pastor and I, I just, I want, what's up with the peace? Like you just, I want that. And I'm like, I'm so glad you asked. You see, we want to make people ask us. I mean, we'll tell even if you don't ask, but <laughs> it's more powerful when they ask. But the, the thing here is he's, 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 he's on call. Are you? If God said, hey, I'm going to have somebody cross paths with you and they're going to, I, I want them to know. Are you ready if they asked you? You know, something about the gospel, we have to be ready. And I just love, I just love, it's so funny. Hey, if you have a word, he looks at the Apostle Paul, writer 
of 13 New Testament epistles. He says, hey, Paul, we're Jews. We don't know about Jesus, but we're wondering, do you have anything to tell us that might be encouraging? And Paul's like, oh, do I have something to tell you that's encouraging? Yeah, I just love getting them to ask. And, uh, you know, there's ways to do that. Can I tell you another story? I was teaching at uh, Heald College, grammar and punctuation, a real joy. <laughs> but I know, I now know all the rules for the comma, the apostrophe, and everything else. So I get to colon, and I put the colon on the board, and I tell them the seven uses of the colon, right? The two dots. And I, I you know, you, you know, I like all kinds of fruit, colon, and you make your list, whatever. I get to eight reasons for the colon, and then at the end of that, I say, there is one other use of a colon. And I said, sometimes it's used to separate chapter and verse. And I wrote, John 3, colon, 16. Pause. Come on. Come on. I know you want to. I know you want to. Oh, Lord Jesus. Come on. Every single time. Every single time. John 3, 16, what's that? Oh. <laughs> Are you asking me? <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'll be glad to do But what I used to do is there was always one Christian in the room. Always one. Not much more than one. And I would say, is there a Christian in the room? One hand. Can you tell them that? So then now not only did I get John 3.16 out there, I never said a word. <laughs> I never said a word. So when the dean comes calling, I didn't do anything. <laughs> Yeah, so do that. Come on. Jesus wants us to be, uh, as I said, shrewd as uh, serpents. And so he's whapping the strings and they, they bite. He's, and he's ready to rock. He starts out, uh, stands and motions with his hand and says, men of Israel. And he continues, verse 17, the God, men of Israel, the God of the people of Israel, 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 chose our fathers, bonding, bridging. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. Hasn't he been good to us? Uh, with mighty power, he led them out of that country. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. Oive, was that not, uh, that was not fun? Verse 19, I guess he didn't say Oive then. <laughs> Whatever, 19, he overthrew seven Nations in Canaan, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Moabites, all the ites, <laughs> and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. By the way, uh, note to self here, he struggled, God, with those ites for 400 years, and God caused them the most wicked people on the planet. And when God gives those yucky, horrible, disgusting laws in Leviticus to his people, he's only doing that because that's what they, the Canaanites, were doing. So after 400 years of telling God, no, thank you, then he said, I'm the owner of the property. I'm evicting you. And I'm going to bring in these people. They're my people. And, and he brought them. Now, uh, no takers making the connection. Men of Israel, we may live in Tur you may live in Turkey, but in our hearts we're men of Israel, aren't we? Building the bridge, and then he goes straight to 
the beginning. He's going to do Old Testament survey if you were to take it at a college course. He's going to just say he wants to get them from the promised land to Jesus. And he's going to do it really quickly and really fast. And that's the point too. Get to Jesus. Get to the point. Don't get lost in the weeds, distracted by everything going on in our world. Because you can. And then you chew up all of that time when you could have been talking soul issues and the gospel. Uh, Don't do that. Follow uh, his example here. And so Yes, uh, so verse 17, the, the God of Israel, how honored are we? The God, our God, is the God of the planet and the universe. So what he's going to start to do here is get them in the mood of um, a gratitude to God, a humbleness. Uh, he's going to get them to soften their hearts and to feel their indebtedness so that he can bring the gospel you see. And so there are some key things here. Hasn't God been good to us? You know, he says in verse 17, how about them Egyptians using us to build all of their pyramids, you know? God busted us out of that. Did we deserve it? No. We had to wander uh, 40 years, but even then, quote, he prospered us, didn't he? He could have just smushed us like the bugs we are, but sorry. Instead, what does he do? We're giving him a hard time and he's causing our robes and our sandals never to wear out for 40 years. Uh, When we're thirsty, he busts open the rock and out comes water. When we're hungry, he rains on us bread from heaven. When we're cold at night in the desert, he puts a pillar of fire there to warm us. And by day when the sun would just burn us alive, he covers us with a cloud of protection. Is this how he treats everybody in the world? He is good, but he's been especially good to us, men of Israel. You see, the the hearts are just uh, like blossoming on a spring day, those buds that just open up. And uh, this is what we do. This is how we communicate. We start warm and connecting and reminding them the goodness of God and how he doesn't treat us according to our sins. And so... Verse 19, he gave us a great piece of real estate too. He threw that in, uh, a land flowing with milk and honey and evicted the seven nation coalition of wicked, wicked Canaanites and moved us in. And so they're looking up at the bridge and saying, this guy gets us. He's one of us. And uh, their hearts are warm and now uh, receptive. And so I like taking a little time here just stressing this whole concept of uh, when you're with a Jewish person, how you go. Now, when I meet a Jewish person, I'm like, so am I. I'm a Jewish person. uh, And when I start to talk to them, uh, usually I find out uh, they're secular Jews and know nothing about the Old Testament. So there go, you throw out the Jewish card. You don't need the Jewish card anymore because they're just like everybody else. Uh, They may have a Passover dinner, but that's about it. Right. So you treat them like you would at anybody else, but it's always important to know who you're speaking to. Jesus said, listen, I'm going to make you fishers of men. What a great analogy. Evangelism, sharing the gospel. It's like fishing. And not all fish, kinds of fish, bite at the same things. Some go for the lure, some go for the little... uh, putty stuff that you buy that smells really bad and you put that on some like the, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I'm not in the business. of I'm in another business. <laughs> some go for bugs. Some go for worms. Some just need to be harpooned. 
But that's what he's, uh, this is what I, my takeaway really is I'm just amazed that he will never talk like this to a Gentile. He just doesn't. No talk. Maybe he'll mention it, but it's totally different because the way you talk to a cowboy from Texas who's not into spiritual things is very different from a gay barista from San Francisco who is into spiritual things. They both need Jesus. And you don't want to trip unnecessarily any wires that's going to start to explode and make it impossible to get to the gospel. So listen to me carefully without compromising the truth at all. The hard parts of the truth have to stay the hard parts of the truth. But how you get there, how you lead, how you start, you know, why unnecessarily blow up the bridge, right? Like we just come in like a bull in the china shop. You know, let me tell you about Jesus, sinner. You know, (laughs) done. I'm done with you. Shut up. You know, I met people like that when I was 19, you know, and then I met the others. Like, how you doing? What's going on? Can I buy you a hamburger? It's like, why? (laughs) Because I care about you. Why would you care about me? I said, well, God cares about me, and I care about you, and if there's a heaven and hell, you know, right? Wouldn't you agree? Wouldn't you if you knew that? Well, yeah, it's starting to make sense. I need you to shut up now (laughs) (laughs) because I'm getting scared that I might get sucked in too late. I already did. Uh, So do they have a felt need? Do they have a anxious thought? Do they have feeling empty? Are they feeling... Where? Start there. That's where he's going to start with them in the promised land. Uh, This is what it's all about. Sometimes I'll just ask somebody, what's the sticking point? What's stopping you? What is it? Tell me what it is. Why can't you get over that? You know, and uh, and I'm smiling because I said that to some guy here and he told me and so I I just went after it, you know, and now he's smiling and uh, inviting people to church. What's your problem? Some kind of Jesus freak? <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, he is. So praise the Lord. This is, yeah, so, yeah. To the Jew, I became like a Jew. To those under the law, I became like I'm under the law. Right? That's what he says. Even though I'm not under the law, but to win him, I'm not going to sit down and order the pork chop special. Right? Because he's under the law. I'm not. But what's important at the table is the gospel. And how can I ease the tensions, smooth the water without compromising the truth, which is hard in itself. And so I think you're getting it. Um, So using the appropriate bait, you know, he's using the Jew card. And he's doing a good job of it. Verse 20, uh, continuing with the sermon. So he's going to, like I said, he's got to get them from the promised land with all the amens uh, to King David. Because from King David, he can cut straight a thousand years. He can take a thousand years off and go straight to Jesus. Because Jesus is related to King David. So he got to, he's got to get them to the monarchy. And that's what's going on here to the Jews. Whoops. Next Next one. Next text, please. Yeah, it's confusing because they both started with verse 20. Uh, All this took about 450 years, guys, 
After this, God gave them judges for like 400 more years, uh, 12 judges who were like kings, but not, until the time of Samuel, the prophet. Uh, Then the people asked for a king. (laughs) Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them uh, the People's Choice Award, which was not God's choice, Saul, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made King David their king. He, he testified concerning, uh, the Lord says about David, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, gentlemen, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. That's his thesis statement. He made it. He got there. That's what he's doing here. He had to get them to Jesus. Now, uh, the Jews sitting there know this about the Messiah. One of David's descendants by blood in his line will be the Messiah. 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 14 says... To David, the Lord speaking, from your own body will come the Savior of the world. So everybody who believed in Jesus in the Gospels was calling him son of David because they were saying, I believe the Old Testament where it says that you are related to King David, that you are the Messiah. That's why, calling him son of David. And so he he gets them there, explains how they got to David, and then 41 generations, 41 greats on Jesus' human side. Jesus is fully human, fully God, born of a virgin Jewish womb, related by blood. Trace her back, the genealogies are there, all the way to King David. Now, since he was conceived of the Holy Spirit, he's more than man, he's 100% God as well. But his man part, which he retains to this day, is 100% Jewish and connected to them. So he's trying to get them to see the one that you all know is going to be related to, uh, he's going to be great, great, times 41, greats, grandson to King David, has come about 10 years ago, and you all need to receive him. He came, he died, he rose, he ascended, he gave his spirit, and you guys have been left behind. You have to believe in Jesus. And so that's what's going on here. They're probably, uh, when, when he says that closing statement there, that thesis statement, from David, God promised a savior, Jesus, and he's here. The look on their face is like, how did I miss this? And didn't you, when you came to hear the gospel and it started making sense to you and you opened your heart and the, the lights went on and you're like, oh, God, God, you're in heaven and there's a hell to avoid, a heaven to gain and a right way to live. And of course now life makes sense. And you're like, well, where was I? What happened? How did I get out of bed in the morning and not know that there was a God who loved me? And I think this is what's going on uh, in their lives. Now a big chunk, lots of words, but it's just the gospel, so I'll sum it up. Uh, No panic allowed. All right, just because it's a couple slides here. Verse 24, note takers, we're getting to the gospel. He made it. He's in. Now before the coming of this Messiah Jesus, Yeshua, which means the Lord saves, 
John the Baptist preached repentance because you're not going to get saved without the bad news first. You have a change of mind and heart. And uh, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing uh, his work, he said, who do you think I am? I'm not the one. I'm not the Messiah. No. But he is coming after me whose sandals I am not worthy to, to untie. Brothers, children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognize Jesus. He came to his own, John chapter 1, verse 10. He came to his own. His own did not receive him. But to all who receive him, to them, he gave the right to become children of God. His own didn't receive him. They will receive him during phase three called the Great Tribulation, which is all about Israel. The church is gone. We've done our work. Now it's time to work on winning Israel back to her Messiah. I throw that in there, in between there. Uh, So yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of Isaiah, David, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, that are read every Sabbath. You guys are hearing how he had to suffer and die for the sins of the world. Verse 28, though they found no proper ground for a death sentence for the sinless son of God, they asked Pilate, the governor, to have him executed, moving on still. When they had carried out all that was written about him, see, it's all God's plan, they took him down from the trees, the nickname for the cross, and laid him in a tomb. But the story's not over, gentlemen. But God raised him from the dead, and for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They and we <coughs> are now his witnesses to our people, you guys. We tell you the good news, gentlemen. What God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, uh, their children, us, by raising up Jesus. And then he's going to take a paragraph to bring two Old Testament citations about the resurrection, Psalm 2 and Psalm 16. We'll we'll skip over that paragraph uh, for the sake of time. But let me make a couple observations here about the gospel. Number one, you got to have the R word, repentance. I had a friend who went progressive. He used to go to this church 15 years ago. He went progressive, meaning I don't ever tell anybody they need to repent. And I said, too bad, you've thrown out the whole gospel. You can't get saved unless you repent. So I guess nobody in your sphere of influence will get saved. Because Jesus said, unless you repent, you will never see the kingdom of God. Repentance just means a change of life, a U-turn, a change of heart. You can't get into heaven without a change from your self-centered, sin-loving ways. Doesn't that make sense? And so, and that happens through faith alone. So he brings up John the Baptist, of course, to 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 start. And they probably heard of the thunderous. Uh, message that John preached, turn from your wickedness. And he called men out for greed and lust and murderous hate in our hearts. So the bad, the, the bad news is the preface to the good news. Uh, nobody wants to get saved if they don't feel that they need to be saved. Who wants a savior if you don't think you need to be saved? So you have to start with, man, there's a problem. 
you can't fix it. You need help. So until they're convinced of that, until I was, until you were, uh, you were lost. You're not going to call out on God when you think that your good deeds are enough. You can just live your life. God will take out a balance scale at the end and say, you know, good deeds, bad deeds, mm, good, good outweighs the bad. Come on in. Not in the Bible. Because your bad deeds have outweighed your good deeds. And it's not about deeds anyway. Yeah, John's message was this. As he brings up John, he says, the Messiah's coming and guess what? He's got an axe in his hand. And he's going to chop down the bad trees and throw them in the fire. You see? Well, how loving is that? Well, very loving. Because when you get a little further in the story, you find out that God himself came and took an axe to his own son so that no tree, sinful as it is, out there would have to be chopped and thrown into fire. Instead, he would chop his sinless son down and throw him into the fire as it were. He didn't descend into any flames, but he he might as well have. He took the payment that was ours. Yeah. Uh, we were having lunch together, the pastors out at Oliver's, and an older woman was talking to us about the church things and cussing up a storm and using Jesus' name in vain. And I said to her, I said, it's getting late in the game for you, if I could say that, for you to have this kind of attitude toward God, don't you think? Maybe in your 20s, maybe in your 30s. But you know, you're getting to the finish line, aren't you? And she goes, you know what? If I came into your church, the whole building would implode because of all of my sins. And she said it with lots of colorful French letters and words. And I said, don't flatter yourself. As I say all the time, don't flatter yourself. God took his son and crushed and suffocated him to death for you so that you could come into the church and see a smile on God's face and the angels singing a song. Because all your sins are paid for. You see? Well, I don't mind going to hell. And she said it in front of all the pastors. I don't mind going to hell. All my friends are there. It's like, first of all, that's such an overused and tired phrase. All right? I wanted to say, get creative. You know, come on. (laughs) How many times have you ever heard that? Come on. And I had to say, no, no, she's not listening very well. But I said, no, 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 your friends are not there. Your friends, you'll be isolated in utter dar- darkness by yourself, alone, forever. Yeah. And she goes, well, that's the way I want it. And I said, okay, don't tell Jesus that we didn't tell you otherwise. You see? So as it were, listen to me. Her blood is off of my hands. Now she may repent. She still may. You know, why did God let us meet like that? Maybe, right? But I do not like running into people and wonder... Could I have said something? Just a little something to tie them in. And this is kind of the point of the message here. And so, yeah, so Jesus drank the cup. It's finished. Sins are paid for. That's what he's saying. Verse 33, Jesus died for your sins and God raised him from the dead so that he could raise us to new life. And so he says, uh, now to the conclusion, we made it, you guys. Look at you. A very long sermon. Some of those pastors are just long-winded. I don't understand them. 
I just don't understand going along in the pulpit. Okay. <laughs> this is the end of the sermon. Look at you. You made it. He's going to conclude and go out with a very interesting punch to the jaw. Uh, Therefore, my brothers, my Jewish brothers, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Bottom line, guys, I'll sum up the entire book of the Bible. One phrase. You want to be forgiven or do you want to be condemned? Let's talk about it. Do you want to go to heaven or do you want to go to hell? Bottom line, I'm proclaiming this to you. The question goes out. Choose life. You got life or death. Do you want to be pardoned? So he says, look, if you're hoping to get to heaven, verse 39, through him, everyone who believes, trusts their life to to Christ, the sin-bearing Savior, is justified. The word means pardoned, acquitted. The charges dropped from everything. You can't be justified, you Jews, by trying to be good people. I'm religious. I I keep the law of Moses. It's the Ten Commandments plus 613. 613 commands? How do you hope to to keep those and get to heaven? He says you, 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 you you won't make it. So trust in Jesus and be justified. The gavel goes down and God looks at you and goes, innocent! And you'll be like, whoa, how did that happen? Because of Jesus, right? Now, parting shot, really good. Because God, and listen to me, God doesn't just woo us with his love. He warns us with his word. So he's going to go out with a punch because he sees the faces. Some faces are like, whoa, this is for me. And the other faces are like, you know, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, whatever. That was an ugly face. (laughs) Parting shot, verse 40, take care, beware, watch out that what the prophets have said in Habakkuk chapter 1 verse 5 what Habakkuk said doesn't happen to you with the face that you're making he's saying uh, look you scoffers wonder and perish for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you okay here's what that means he's saying if the miraculous nature of God becoming a man and dying on a cross for your sins and inviting you to have eternal life. If that's just too much for you to believe and you start rolling your eyes and scoffing, just know this, that as you're rolling your eyes and mocking the message, you're proceeding ever so closely to the cliff. You're going to perish and on your way to perishing, on your way to that terrible place, You're rolling your eyes at the very word that can save you. And then he looks and he pauses and says, don't let that happen to you. And sadly, if you take a roll call in hell and heaven right now, some of them said, that's not for me. I'm going north. And some of them rejected the message, rolled their eyes and now they're there. He puts it out there. Bottom line. Want to be forgiven? Yes or no? Let's pray. Father, well, let me answer for us here. Yes, we all want to be forgiven. And we have been forgiven, those who have trusted in your son. God, you, it was a long, hard fight for some of us. 
Some of us bit on the little berry or the little bug, <laughs> and others needed a more drastic strategy. Uh, but we got in the net, God. And this is one net we want to be caught in, the, the net of God's love and salvation. So help us, God. Help us be ready and prepared to give an answer to those who ask and to care in our hearts that we know people who don't know you at all. And that's not okay. It's just not okay. Oh, no, God, give us wisdom to know when to talk, when to stop talking, and just keep praying. But keep that compassion for others and that desire to be good communicators um, front and center. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to The Rocks Podcast. Our regular services are held on Sunday mornings at 8, 9.30, and 11.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you'd like to learn more, please visit our website at cctherock.org.